I think it's such a complex subject, belonging, right? What I would challenge is this idea that belonging stems from showing up in a place, you know? So belonging isn't about the office. We didn't lose it when we've lost the office. But belonging is about the relationships that we have and the interactions that we have with people. Welcome back. I'm Kathy Onetto, and this is the Sustainable Ambition Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be ambitious and navigate work from decade to decade without sacrificing your life or yourself. In today's episode, I'm joined by Amy Bonzel. Amy started a company three years ago with one aim, to help people to flourish. She does this as a coach, having designed and launched programs to support people through hard decisions. Her popular Where is Home program helps people who have the opportunity to move anywhere to identify where they want to establish their homes and build belonging. Amy is a former IDEO and Old Navy executive. She's written and spoken for institutions such as HBR, Entrepreneur, and South by Southwest, and co-teaches a popular course at IDEOU. Amy was on with me in my first year on episode 34, where we talked about flourishing at work in community and with experimentation. These concepts also come up in our conversation today, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode too. I wanted to have Amy back to explore what it can look like to craft the life and work we want in today's world that has been upended, but not necessarily in a bad way, as you'll hear from Amy. In today's episode, we explore what it means to find home, how to make hard decisions and make them easier and lighter, and what it means to feel a sense of belonging. I think of this conversation broadly, not just about where we choose to live, but also perhaps to work, and also then how we can ask ourselves, who do we want to be? What would it look like for us to flourish? And how can we craft our identity as we make choices for our life and work? Let's learn more find home, and settle in with Amy Bonzel. Welcome back to the podcast, Amy. I'm so excited to have you here today as I was really interested in exploring different ways of living and working today to see what it can perhaps teach us about managing hybrid and flex work and crafting the life and work we want. So I appreciate you coming back to the podcast to have this conversation. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. You are both living this and you're helping people kind of live this exploration around living and working in a different way. Today, some of the work that you're doing is around supporting digital nomads and others in really identifying where home is and helping them make choices around this and then like helping them settle in once they make those choices. So can you tell us a little bit more about this work that you're doing, Amy? Absolutely. Yeah. And it was all born out of all the change that we've had over the past few years. So personally, I started to rethink where I wanted to be and how I wanted to live and how I wanted to work. And I noticed that other people were doing the same thing. The short story is the work that I'm doing is helping people to, in a world where there's so much more choice than there ever was, um, we're really not tethered to cities anymore in the way that we used to be or to specific geographies. In that world, 
how do you choose a place that you want to live in and how do you settle in there? How do you really make that your home? The way I'm doing this is uh, it's, it's a program that I've created. As you know, I have a background as a designer. So I took everything that I know, um, all the tools of design. I also have a background in mindfulness teacher training. So I brought all of that to bear on creating a program that helps people um, to navigate this. And one thing that I noticed was true of everyone that I spoke to, uh, who is really seriously asking this question of where do I want to live, is that it quickly goes from a place of excitement and joy and optimism to a sense of paralysis and overwhelm. I liken it to if you've ever been to like a restaurant like the Cheesecake Factory, where the choices are so huge, and you're kind of like, overwhelmed for a moment. That's that's sort of what I liken it to. There's just people need help to make sense of all of the options. So this concept of home is really interesting to me. What have you learned home really means for people? So as they set out on this quest, as you're saying, it can get to be this overwhelming kind of exploration of like, well, where can I settle? Where can I be? And so it's interesting to kind of think that, oh, home isn't necessarily just where I grew up and where I come from or where I may have settled after a particular time. And now there's actually choice in making this decision. So I'm sure that aspect of it can be part of the overwhelm. So how do you really think about this concept of home? I'll start by saying I, I've i moved so many times. I've lived in multiple countries. I have lived in multiple cities. I've moved more than your average American and average Americans move a lot. So I have a lot of experience with it personally. And I think one of the things that was interesting to me is that it never particularly got easier. You know, like I do know the ropes, but it never felt easy. And when I started to like kind of peel the onion from a design perspective, what I realized is that home, where we live, where we reside, and I'm not talking about a physical building, I'm talking about a geography that's very emotional and it's very tied to identity. And so I think that's what makes it complex. Once you start to associate an identity to something, it creates um, paralysis in deciding where to go. It p- creates paralysis in deciding, am I, am I in the right place now or should I be moving? So that's a piece of it. The other piece is there's been research done on what is a hard decision. And a hard decision is defined as one where more than one choice can be good, but for really different reasons. So for me, for instance, and we can get into my story, but right now I'm part of my life I'm spending in rural, rural central Maine, um, because that's a family place. Um, I've lived in cities like London and Singapore and San Francisco. So I could equally have gone back to any one of those cities and you know, London versus central Maine are really, really different. And so um, those choices are both good for different reasons. And that is what makes this a hard choice for me and for others going through this is that it's there's no like, you can't kind of tip the scale towards one or the other really easily. It's almost becomes this log jam where you, it seems as if you can't move, right? And so that's, I'm sure what you're helping people with. And I mean, when making some of these choices, especially around home or settling, 
You don't want to necessarily make the wrong decision. And yet we've all vacationed in places and vacationing in places is different than living in a place. So how do you then help people get past that? Well, I'll start by saying that what I just described about what makes a decision hard is just one of, I would say, three things that make it hard. So the first one is two choices can be good for very different reasons. The second thing you just alluded to, which is they feel like leaps of faith, right? It feels like, oh, I have to move to London or move to New York City in order to decide if New York or London is right for me. You don't get it from vacation. And then the third thing that makes them hard is that they, because they were, you know, arguably so close, or there are two or more parallel choices that could have been good, it's really easy to second guess yourself once you get to the other side. And so I address all three of those things through the program that I've created. The first thing that I do is really to start with what are your values. So let's start by recognizing this is not a geographic question. This is not a logistical question. This is a value question. And that's what makes it hard. And so I start by helping people really peel back and figure out what are the values that they want to live by in this stage of their lives. So what I find really interesting about the values piece is how you started with like home is tied to identity. And so I don't think people always may recognize that, you know, our values are a way of us expressing our identity. And then I can appreciate what you also are sharing about in this stage. And that's something that I look at with sustainable ambition as well. And I think that's an important component of this. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. When I say, you know, we need to start with values, people either like they, they know exactly what their values are, or they have no idea how to access them. And they're actually not that hard to find. Um, It just takes a little bit of digging with a few key questions. And then almost always after I've worked with people and kind of dug a little bit, they'll say, Oh, okay, that's been sitting in the back of my brain and you pulled it out. And now like it's, it's clear and it's helpful for me for moving forward. And what those values do when they're articulated well is they help us have stories that we tell ourselves and other people about what's important in our lives right now and um, why we're making the decisions we're making right now. Uh, you know, as way of example, for me, I could very much go back to London. But a value that's important for me right now is really developing and growing the relationships that I have with my nieces and nephews, with my siblings, with my parents. So that is really important for me right now. And that's why, you know, New England is really important for me right now. And why London is is kind of out for the moment doesn't mean I won't go back to London, you know, in 10 years time. And so I think that point of like the, where are we in our lives right now is really, really an important one to lock into. I was going to ask you, is this concept of making a home anywhere only for people of a certain age or stage? And what I appreciate what you're saying in this is really we all, if we have the desire and the time and the energy and perhaps the financial capability too, can choose to make our home elsewhere. I've always wanted to live abroad and I haven't figured out when or how I can do that for myself. And I sometimes wonder, like, am I putting this off too long? Am I just not, you know, making it a priority right now? And I should be, and I kind of wrestle with that. So I don't know if that has come up for some of the people that you work with. Not that specific example, but just like how time factors into it. 
It, time totally factor, factors into it. And the other thing I think is like just models of what's normal. I think that what COVID did for us is really upend what sort of the normal trajectory was. And it kind of made it okay to be like, hey, I don't, you know, I'm going to try something. For me, for instance, I'm, I'm a snowbird now. So I spend half my time in Maine and uh, I spend half my time in Florida. And that's normally something people do when they retire. You know, it's not something you do at the peak of your career. But I think what COVID has really allowed us to do is to say, okay, the rules um, don't apply anymore, or we get to change the rules. And then what is coming up for a lot of people is like, they're starting to see examples of people just trying different things and taking advantage of what era we're in. And that is helpful too. Um, And then equally, it's funny you mention uh, Europe because I have multiple people I've been working with who are like, is Europe right for, or you said overseas, but I'm putting Europe in there, you know, Europe right for now or later? Um, And that's a really interesting question to ask too. Like what stage are you in now and what do you hope to be in the future? I'm wondering, Amy, like, are there any downsides you've been coming across in people that are doing this? And what I mean by that is, again, like in a world right now where we do have so many options, and you talked about this, that we can get into analysis paralysis, or we just have too much choice, right? The paradox of choice. And in many ways, our world is so unsteady right now on many dimensions. And I kind of wonder if people are so stressed and burned out because just so so much has been shaken up. And so home on some level is a way to find some grounding. And yet, you know, this too has been up and up as like yet another possibility. And so I'm curious if that you talked about already the kind of overwhelm of making a decision. So then what else comes up in terms of some of these challenges and then how you help people make some of these decisions a little bit easier and lighter? Yeah. And I I think the, the, the two actually are the same thing. Like it is, it can be one more thing that is uncertain right now. And I think uncertainty has two sides to it. I like to call it squishy ground. And uh, I actually have design principles for navigating this challenge or this choice. And one of my design principles is, is squishy ground is where the magic happens. And, you know, the benefit of being on squishy ground, which we are at work and at home and, you know, a variety of places right now is that we can make bigger change and we can make more dramatic change than we can do when the ground is more solid underneath us. So there's pros and cons to being on squishy ground. Um, and I think the, the opportunity is really how do, you, how do you take advantage of and play with that squishiness in a way that helps you move forward. I love this term. Can you say just like, so what exactly is squishy ground? I mean, as contrasted to solid ground, but like when it's squishy, what does that actually mean? It means um, there's so much change possible. So to take an analogy, the way we worked was solid ground until about March of 2020. And then all of a sudden it became very, very squishy because we had to reinvent everything, all the ways that we worked as soon as we all went into quarantine didn't work anymore. And you know, like you saw like stages and evolutions of this, 
um, and how we started to like figure out Zoom. And then, you know, as time went on, we figured out this, you know, when are we in the office and what does that look like, et cetera, et cetera. If you remember back to March, April, May, you know, early 2020, anything was possible. And so like a designer looks at that and they're like, oh my goodness, we can make so many, like we can reinvent because there's nothing that's set in stone. There's no normal way of working like this. So that's squishy ground, an example of squishy ground. It's also like destabilizing as we felt. What do you do with folks to start to help them have a little bit of grounding or at least some moorings so that they can kind of navigate the squishy ground? Yeah. Well, one of the big things that I help people to do is to create and to take an experimentation mindset. So if you think about science class back in high school or elementary school or whenever it was, in science class, we were doing experiments and experiments, we were asking ourselves really tight questions And then we were doing a few things and measuring them, proving or disproving a hypothesis or a question. And it wasn't a big thing. It was always a small, tight thing that we could do, you know, in the course of of an hour of class or whatever. And that's the exact approach I take to help people navigate this question. We start to get into open questions. They have curiosities that they have, maybe about a place or about how their life might look in that place. And then we boil them down into questions they can answer in a day, in a week, in a month, like really tight questions. That experimentation approach allows the nebulousness to be contained and focused. And um, another one of my design principles is that action creates clarity. So what happens with, you said it, analysis paralysis, we stop doing anything, is it's really hard to gain any confidence or clarity that way. And so what we're trying to do here is really break the break the the questions down into these small small steps that are easy to do. And then once people get into action, there's information and data that they can at least analyze and kind of sense how am I feeling about this? I mean, it's every time. It's just it just starts well, it starts the ball rolling and it you know, your first question doesn't necessarily lead to the the answer the ultimate answer, but it just starts you starts you moving and give exactly gives you clarity, information, um, new, new questions, um, and new paths. You were recently exploring the concept of transitions. And so as people go through these changes, that in and of itself is a transition. And then if people not everybody is doing what you're doing in terms of going between two locations, but for yourself, you're certainly going between two locations, and there's a transition to that. So I'm curious, what you were interested in learning about around transitions and and what you think about them and why they're important. Yeah. So the transitions are a big part of this because by asking ourselves this question, you know, where can we live when we can live anywhere? We are opening ourselves up to an extended period of being in the unknown, basically. And so transitions are defined as having an ending a beginning, and then between them is this thing that's variously called the neutral zone, the liminal space, the messy middle, etc. It's that squishy ground, actually, um, is what happens in the middle. You know, if you read the literature on transitions, a lot of it says stuff like, just power through that messy middle, you know, you're going to get to the other side. 
And yes, but also like, what if we celebrate that? And what if we made it beautiful? What if we could calm our nervous systems during that and change our relationship with this, this middle part? I'm in an active exploration, I'll say that about this. Um, And I've just started asking the question, like we have some transitions that we really celebrate and some transitions that we really just try to get through as quickly as possible. And so uh, I've been looking at the ones we celebrate and asking, like, what is it that makes them special? And what are we doing? These are things as small as like, taking a flight, being in an airport, walking through a park, we're transitioning from one place to another. And, you know, and different people have different transitions or transitional zones that they really love. If you step back and think about it, everyone has one, at least one. Um, All I'm saying is it might not be airports for you. But if we look at what we do in these places, that's what I get really excited and curious about. So like, what do I love airports? And what do I do in airports? I kind of spoil myself a little bit. Like I'll have hot chocolate or, you know, a a snack that I might not normally have. Um, I use it as a chance to kind of just have some like space between like different parts of my life. And so I think what's fun about asking the question, how can we reframe transitions is that they can be really like delightful. And, um, and I think that that's instructional for when we're, when we're asking ourselves, to go through a much bigger uh, transition. I really love this exploration. I'm curious to see where you go with it because I think there's a lot here. And to your point that I think transitions need to be managed. They can be a lot richer if we're a lot more thoughtful about them. And even if we think about something like the daily commute, which many people don't have anymore, and then they miss it because actually that was a transition. And so people are curious about like, well, how do I add these transitions back, right? Or the fact that we sometimes go from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting, and there isn't that walk in the hallways, you know, from in the office building that is a transition, which we need. Uh, And so, so it's it's a really interesting thing, I think, for people to explore. I also wanted to ask about settling in. So you you look at this concept of settling in. So you have like, okay, now I need to decide where I'm going. Then there's this transition period, and then I arrive someplace new. What is important about settling in? And what have you learned about what helps people settle in? To me, it's the biggest part of this choice, actually, is the settling in part. Because I think without it, and I said this before, but I think it's worth reiterating, without really settling in, you're susceptible to second guessing yourself. And I think if you're second guessing yourself, it you don't feel good, right? So that is like sort of piece number three of how I help and work with people is really on the settling in and building belonging is a lot of how I talk about it. So there's a lot of logistics to settling in. We know this, like there's boxes galore, et cetera. And, and that's important. And it's important to, you know, have your space and feel, feel like, you know, where the grocery store is and all of those tactical things. I think that they can easily overwhelm us and distract us from the other things that are really important when we get to a place. And I, that's about understanding the place itself, meeting people, um, getting to know, like, just the things that make it feel like you sort of, you belong. And so for me, a big part of that is 
you know, who are my friends, you know, all the relationships from the, the good friends that you have over for, you know, a drink at the end of the day, through to the barista that knows you and knows your order. And there's something really nice about being known on that level. And so a lot of what I do when I'm working with clients is just help them to identify what are the things that are likely to make them feel that sense of belonging. And again, to create experiments to just try and get there. Like you're not likely going to meet your best friend within the first month of moving to a new place. But you might have clues that you're on the path to get there. And you've, you've met some interesting people that you might want to see again. So we're just really looking for these, again, these stepping stones. What I find so interesting about this conversation and this exploration is from my perspective, how much application it has to everyday life. And really, even if you're not a digital nomad, I love that you're asking these questions because I think it can help us pause and reflect and actually think about okay, I've lived where I've lived for 20 years now. Have I truly settled in? Have I truly allowed myself to belong? I also think this can help us even in just our normal day-to-day from transitioning to moment-to-moment or different locations or different environments where how do you settle in when you go from work to home, say? I don't know if you see that at all, Amy, but it just seems to me that it has such application. Absolutely. And, you know, it's... It's funny, I, I've been thinking about it lately, sort of like Mario Brothers or one of those, you know, pick your favorite game where like you'd get from one level to another and then you'd unlock new things when you got to that level. And I feel like certainly on the, like whether you've been in a place for a month or a year or 10 years, I feel like there's these unlock levels that we get to things that just make it feel I don't know. I, I, for me, it's like, I feel like a, a little bit of an insider. Like, for instance, in Maine, I just found out who gives the best massage in central Maine. And like, I didn't need that the very first moment that I set foot there. But I feel like I've gotten to a point where, oh, like I knew the person to ask that led me to, um, so it's a series of things that lead you to those unlocks. So absolutely, I think that it applies to daily life. And to your point about like the daily transitions, absolutely. And I agree. I think we lost a lot of those natural ones when we changed the way that we work. And I and I think a lot of us still haven't put them back in any structured form. I know you've explored flourishing at work as well. And I'm curious how this idea of exploring home kind of intersects with that for you. And if the folks that you're working with by looking at how they're experiencing home in a different way, is it changing their relationship with work at all? You know, I think that they're, they're highly interrelated. And I think if I step back and look at it from a 25,000 foot perspective, I think what's happened in the past few years is that kind of collectively as a society, and certainly individually, many of the people I'm working with, we've re- valued work. It used to be a place where we got our community for many of us, not everyone, but for many of us, it was a place where we got our community. It was where we got our purpose. It, it provided for a lot of different pieces of our lives. And I think what's happened is that many people have just started to ask the question, does this deserve this size place in my life? 
or are there other things in my life that can provide these different things for me, community, for instance. And so I think from that perspective, yes, a lot of us um, are asking that question of like, actually, how does, how does work fit into a flourishing life? And does it have the same role that it had a few years ago? I think the answer is going to be a spectrum depending on, on who, who you're speaking to. But I do think that part of what I'm encouraging people to do is be really intentional about what are their values that they want to live right now. And that manifests in, you know, in the answer to the question of like, where do I work and where do I live? As a side note, I'm starting to get people asking me, can I use this same program for work too? Because I'm asking these same questions around work. Um, So yeah, it's a hot topic. I wanted to apply this as well to work from a standpoint of even given that last context that you just provided in terms of the role of work that many people are questioning and not necessarily seeing it for everything. And yet I do wonder about, you know, certainly people have pushed back on like work needing to be family. I never would have subscribed to that anyway. But at any rate, I still think, you know, the number one thing that Gallup has found leads to happiness at work is having a best friend at work. And so I do still think community is really important at work. And so I'm curious if you have any thoughts on the importance of belonging at work or just my my concern is that people may just resist trying to create belonging for themselves at work. And then that might you know, not serve them well. So I don't know if you have any perspective on that. I agree with you. I think it makes a huge difference on the relationships you have with the people that you work. You know, I think it's such a complex subject, belonging, right? What I would challenge is this idea that belonging stems from showing up in a place, you know? Um, so belonging isn't about the office. We didn't lose it when we lost the office, but belonging is about the relationships that we have and the interactions that we have with people. And a lot of work got more transactional, uh, as we, most of us experienced during the pandemic, because the relational stuff was the stuff that was happening between meetings. And so I really, really, in my work with with corporations and with, uh, with leaders, I really encourage that relational stuff isn't the second, you know, isn't like a, an optional or a nice to have. It really does need to be part of creating a thriving workplace. What I encourage is that that ha- helping people creating the space to build relationships looks different than, you know, than what it looks like to work. Like it's not a Zoom, it's not it's, it shouldn't take the same form as getting the work done. And I think that a lot of companies still are trying to figure out exactly what that looks like right now. So before we wrap up, Amy, I am curious about one thing. So you move between two places. And I'm curious that there's one thing you really can't live without. Is there something that you take with you from place to place? Oh, it's such a funny question because I've thought a lot about that lately. As you know, I'm I'm literally in the middle of my snowbird migration from north to south. I do have a coffee mug uh, or a tea mug in my case that I bring with me because it's part of my like my morning routine. It's part of my ritual, and I really just enjoy having that same one. That said, what I'm really also trying to do is to leave things in the places that they belong and not feel like I need to duplicate or 
copy, but really celebrate each place for what it has and what it offers. And so that's been like, I think we're all a little bit creatures of comfort, right? And we have like certain things that we like, but I, I'm trying to minimize the amount of stuff I'm bringing and think more about like, what are the people that I, who are the people I get to see and spend time with in each place? Like, what are the experiences I get to have that are unique to each place? That's beautiful. I think a good reminder for all of us that it doesn't need to be about things, but perhaps what we're going to experience when we're there. Mm -hmm. Amy, is there just a final like takeaway or word of wisdom for listeners around perhaps creating home for oneself? I like to say like, we don't find belonging, we build belonging. And I think that that is a really good thing to keep in mind. You know, you could take it even further and say we create the conditions for belonging. Like we can't go out and like identify our best friends or know exactly how and when we're going to figure out the the secret massage spot in or the, the best massage spot in central Maine. But we create the the possibility for all of these things by action, by putting ourselves out there, by deliberately considering what it is that we need to feel like we're flourishing in a place. And so that's what I would encourage, you know, just consider wherever you are, however long you've been in a place, what, what could make it that one bit better? And what, what kinds of things could you be doing to like encourage that happening? That's wonderful. Well, Amy, if people want to learn more about you and your programs and your coaching and what you offer, where can they find you? I'm on LinkedIn, Amy Bonsall, and on Instagram, uh, I'll send it to you for the show notes. It's a really complex Instagram handle that I should probably fix, um, but it's my company name, which is Collective, and that's all about, I think that there's so much that we gain from doing these kinds of transitions and changes together, so that's the spirit of that. Wonderful, and of course, we will capture that in the show notes, so listeners, you can find it there. And Amy, thank you so much for this conversation. I've really enjoyed exploring what it is to create home. Thank you for being on again with me. Thank you for having me. I'm always delighted to be here with you, Kathy. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Amy. I love being in conversation with her. I really appreciate how she thinks about the world and how she creates ways for us to navigate it with more enjoyment and ease. A few things that really stood out for me today. The first is how Amy closed with this idea of we don't find belonging, we build belonging. I just think that's so poignant. And it's a great reminder that we can't just expect belonging to arrive or to be present, but rather it's something that we can actively and proactively build for ourselves. I just really love that. I know this is something I'm going to really embrace moving forward. The second thing that really resonated with me was Amy sharing how squishy ground is where the magic happens. You know, most of us want to be on solid ground. We don't like it when things get uncertain. But I love how Amy reframes this for us and really says this is where possibility lives. This is where change can happen. That is the magic. So to invite us to not be so afraid of that squishy ground, I just really appreciated that. 
And then I also loved this idea that it's important to evaluate our values at this stage and what's important right now. This is really a critical aspect of how I think about sustainable ambition and the fact that our ambitions or what we want across life and work can ebb and flow over time. So to really think about what is important for you at this stage, what values are a priority, and then how she encourages us to really get into action and start experimenting so that we can learn. And then how she also pulled forward the idea of managing transitions and also proactively working to settle in. Again, going back to that idea of really building our belonging. I saw that as part of that settling in aspect. So I encourage you to explore how can we create a sense of belonging for ourselves right now? And perhaps even further, how can we manage and shape what we want for our lives and work now in this stage? What about for you? As you reflect on the conversation with Amy today, what really stood out and spoke to you? And what might be one insight that caught your attention that you will take action on now? With that, thank you for being here with me to learn from Amy Bonzel. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with new expressions around sustainable ambition, taking a little bit different of attack as we step into closing out the year. In the meantime, make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice-monthly newsletter. You can sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like, send me a note or a listener question you'd like me to answer here on the podcast. You can send that to me at podcast at sustainableambition.com. I look forward to being with you next time. Bye.